This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, this is Brandy on a Friday, the 9th of February. Tom, Richard and myself uh, going through a lot of numbers this morning. A lot of breaking news, a lot of breaking earnings, and we had Dubai PMI numbers as well. So let's put all of that in a bit of context for you. Uh, we played the proxy data game this morning. Numbers out from Salik and numbers out from Dewa, telling us a little bit about what's happening to the Dubai population. We've been discussing that with Samir Lakani of Global Capital Partners. And then we had the Dubai PMI numbers, which show a potential downside to all of that population and business growth. We've been having a look, speaking of growth and speaking of population increases of just a temporary one, at what's behind those record tourism numbers for 2023. Speaking to the Senior Vice President for International Operations at Dubai Department of Economy and Tourism, Hor al Khaja. Lunar New Year this weekend, Patrick Zhang, private equity investor and chairman of Sang's Group, spoke to us live from Hong Kong to get us in the mood. And the UAE's seen an uptick of nearly 10% in IP applications. We've had a lawyer, James Dunn from Hadith and Partners in, to tell us why. It's been a busy one and it just gets busier. Uh, no rest for the wicked this morning. Uh, the team are on top of the Dubai PMI numbers coming through as we have been on air this morning. Yeah, so this really ties in, I'm just thinking, to what we have seen in our earnings. It's The flip side of the growth curve, if you like. Uh, Those Salic numbers showing a rise in population, uh, those DEWA numbers showing a rise in population. Quickly, to put this in context, um, let's hear what Sam Alakani had to say about the growth of Dubai. Salic crossings, so how many times go through the, the toll gates up by 12%. Um, D was seeing between sort of 5 and 6% increase when it came to demand for, for power, for water and for its new customer account. Samir Lakani putting that in context for us. Dubai is clearly increasing. Uh, we have various projections on what the population increase is from the Dubai Statistics Center to, to a variety of other data sources that stipulate anywhere between a 5 and 8% increase in, uh, in, uh, in the population growth figures. These numbers attest to two significant population growth. Uh, if, not, if, 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 if anything, probably the population growth is a little bit higher than the, than the numbers that are projected so far because these are connections and... Uh, uh, connections include uh, residential family units as well as commercial connections. So it's a, it's a little difficult to just straight line extrapolate. But clearly the underlying population growth is is increasing and it's increasing quite significantly. But so we've got the S&P Dubai PMI numbers. That's the Purchasing Managers Index. That is the non-oil private sector. The headline number is good. 56.6, anything above 50 shows that the economy is growing rather than contracting. It's a little bit back from last month's 16-month high, but output, new orders, client demand is all strong. But there is a but. And that is the forward-looking uh, part of the survey. They look backwards at what people have done last month, but they also look forward at what they expect to happen. And that forward-looking business confidence is at its lowest level in over a year. And the economist comments that have come out from, from David Owen, he's the S&P guy who puts all of this together, are quite something. And I'm going to use his words. He says, 
However, there are teething issues starting to appear. Competition's the main one. Uh, Businesses that they surveyed saying they were finding it increasingly difficult to drive sales growth as the market became crowded. Firms are often led to offer discounts on prices, which will likely squeeze profit margins. So, with the growth, is more people on your turf, which means it's harder to grow your pie if everyone else wants a bit of the same pie and you're forced to sell that pie for less she says really pushing a uh, metaphor a bit high the other thing companies are worried about the red sea crisis what it meant for their shipments therefore their costs therefore their wait times and therefore their capacity to grow yeah it all makes sense it the dubai is a magnet for people coming in but whatever you're selling whether it's widgets or services management consultancy or steel rebar More people are coming in and seeing the opportunity in Saudi Arabia. They're seeing the opportunity in the UAE. They want to be here. More steel bar salespeople means cheaper steel bars. Good for consumers, but not great for profit margins. It's interesting, isn't it, how it's it's across the board. We did starting up with VirtuZone yesterday. Um, uh, We do it with in association with VirtuZone. And we were talking to the team from CG Barbershop. Um, They've got a barbershop in that... What's the Rotana opposite the ITP building up here in Media City? Oh, it's not the Media Rotana, because that confusingly is not in is Media it, City. Is it Amwaj or...? Yes, it is the Amwaj Rotana. Yeah. yeah. So they're in there. Um, but we had got them in. And, you know, I thought, OK, why are we talking to barbershops? But then more I thought about it. I mean, how many barbershops are there in this town? Have you, been through, have you driven through Dubai Marina recently or, or that whole jail tier? Everywhere you go, there's a barbershop. I mean... How many barbershops can one city cater for? It's just too many. It seems to me... Remember that whole Malcolm thing that used to go down, down Jumeirah Beach Road and it was burgers, wasn't it, once? That was the sort of trend. Now it seems to be barbershops. There's one on every street corner. Well, I think that what you've seen the explosion of is what would you could describe as premium barbershops. Yeah. Because there have always been plenty of places where you can go and get a haircut for 30 or 40 dirhams, but these places are charging... A multiple of that, you know, 100 dirhams plus for a haircut. And they're they're nice trendy shops and, you know, they're trendy barbers, but they're more expensive. And it's that that we've seen the, yeah, the the 100, 150, 200 dirham barber haircut shop. What kind of appetite is there for that? Clearly significant, but are we seeing uh, too many? I remember Mohammed Alibar, and this is years ago, talking about falafel syndrome (laughs) and it's being a problem with this region. Uh, He said, if, if you walk down a street and there's a falafel shop that's doing really, really well, then five people will open falafel shops next door. And yeah. he called it falafel syndrome, this kind of copycat business. And then suddenly there's too many falafel shops and even the original one that was booming struggles. You say this on Falafel Friday and our falafel I can see in the green room uh, has just arrived. Um, the other one I'd add into that is very stylish paired back coffee shops and converted villas on Al Wassel Road yeah. with one word uh, verb names yeah. like arise and awaken and rejuvenate. Yeah. Trendy coffee shops in the... in the A lot in, of stucco arches. In the warehouses as well. That was that was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Um, with the very sort of factory orientated elements behind you as well. And treadmill acoustics. These things upset me in coffee shops. Thankfully, though, not happening when it comes to English language talk news stations. Not just yet. 
Long may it last. Much as we embrace the principle of competition on the business breakfast, we're very glad not to have any. Uh, right, let's turn our attention to the Says news. the man behind the leading talk station <laughs> yes. show, breakfast show in the Middle East. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. It is earnings season and the last 24 hours have been very gratifying indeed for anybody uh, following the local stock markets. Our man with his head in the markets this morning to go through uh, some of the biggest and most exciting listed companies here, Diwa, Salik uh, and both the emails, is Samir Lakhani, Managing Director of Global Capital Partners. Samir, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. And it's an interesting morning just because all of these companies touch us on a daily basis. We may not understand what some of the petrochemical companies listed in Abu Dhabi do, ha! but uh, with Salik, with Diwa, with the malls of Imar, etc., um, this is part of our everyday life. Shall we start with Salik? We're not paying a huge amount of attention to the net profit number because Salik wasn't uh, its own company until the middle of July 2022. What numbers should we be looking at? Are we wrong? No, uh, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the, the figure to look at is the top line, which is the revenue, which has increased uh, uh, by about 11, 11.5%. Uh, that that it's it's no surprise uh, what's uh, what what the reasons for that is. Uh, more importantly, if you look forward, we know that Salik has already announced the formation of two new toll gates, which is going to be accretive to earnings starting from November of this year. And uh, so, all in all, uh, not only have we had uh, uh, a strong set of uh, top line growth from from Salik. Investors are looking forward to that top line and bottom line growth increasing uh, at even higher growth rates uh, in the year to come. Okay, so if we cross from Selic to Diwa, um, a list of records that that Diwa has hit. Not so much on the net profit, though. Tell me how you're reading these numbers. Diwa's top line, again, has uh, has hit an all-time record. Uh, The net profit, remember, these are preliminary results that uh, that they have issued. Uh, there's going to be a detailed set of financial numbers that are going to come out. But uh, yeah, Diva is moving its, its, its business model to more of an IPP, which is this uh, independent power producer model uh, where the private sector comes in. And that's going to take the load off of some of the capacity expenditures that Diva currently undertakes. Uh, that's going to be accretive to earnings. Uh, again, important to note that uh, whilst uh, Diva's net profit line, net profit number may have come in as flat, uh, uh, the investors have received dividends, both normal and extraordinary, uh, due to the spin-off of Empower in the amount of nearly 20% since uh, Diva went public. Okay. If we look at the numbers for both Salik and uh, Diwa very quickly, between 5 and 6% increase for Diwa, whether it's uh, the amount of water we're using, the amount of power we're using, or their new customers, 12% um, for Salik when it comes to the amount of uh, toll gate crossings we have. What does this tell us about the growth of Dubai? Dubai is clearly increasing. Uh, we have various projections on what the population increase is. 
from the Dubai Statistics Center to to a variety of other data sources that 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 stipulate anywhere between a five and eight percent increase in in uh, in uh, in the population growth figures. Uh, these numbers uh, attest to two significant population growth. Uh, if not, if 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 anything, probably the population growth is a little bit higher than the than the numbers that have been projected so far, because these are connections, and uh, connections include uh, residential family units as well as commercial connections. So so it's a it's a little difficult to just straight line extrapolate. But clearly, the underlying population growth is is increasing, and it's increasing quite significantly. Okay, let's go with both of the emails before we let you go this morning. Just two minutes left with you. Email development, uh, 22% increase in property sales. Emails, uh, email property, um, seeing a 70% rise in its net profits. If we look at the mall, 97% um, percent occupied for, for tenants, the, the malls. Put these in some kind of context for us. Again, not surprising. We've seen uh, real estate uh, transactions creating record after record. It's been reflected in the share price. EMAR development has been uh, up 39% year on year. EMAR properties up 35% uh, year on year. So it's it's not it's not a surprise uh, given all the real estate records that Dubai has been breaking. Uh, if we look forward uh, in terms of valuations and in terms of uh, Earnings growth. Imar is talking about uh, the the significant backlog that they have in terms of sales. Uh, so even if there is some sort of price moderation, which is what uh, a lot of real estate analysts are expecting, Imar sales top line and bottom line growth is expected to be robust. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, going through uh, some of the most highly anticipated earnings out of our local earnings season. Select Dewa, email one and email two. Samir Lakani, Managing Director of Global Capital Partners. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Looking at one of the big stories of the week now. Dubai setting a new record for tourists last year, more than 17 million visitors. Very pleased to be joined on the line by Hor Al Khaja, who is Senior Vice President for International Operations at the Dubai Department of Economy and Tourism. Hur, it's lovely to speak to you again. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. What pushed tourism up to this new record last year? So I think, um, you know, just to stop by the numbers, as you rightfully mentioned, it is a record year for Dubai, 17.15 million visitors in 2023. That's, for context, it's 19.4% above 2022 figures and, you know, well above 2019 or what we call pre-pandemic figures. So we're proud to say we're no longer comparing uh, to any pre-pandemic levels. And really, it's a testament to where the city is heading with His Highness's vision of D33 to make Dubai not just one of the best places in the world and the top three cities in the world to visit, but also to live in, to invest in and to move to. And I think the entire city with the public and private collaboration that we have is moving towards this direction. And we're extremely proud of that. Okay, well, let's have a little look at where they came from. It's the Lunar New Year this weekend. What have we seen in the recovery of the Chinese tourist? So let me just answer the question in general. Um, I think one of Dubai's strengths um, in uh, attracting tourists has always been that we never relied on a single source market or not even 10 or 20 source markets to achieve our targets. Dubai has a highly diversified geographic approach when it comes to attracting tourists from all over the world. And we do believe we have 
you know, for those of us who live here, you're very well aware, we have something for everyone in the city, regardless of where you're coming from. So when you look at the market mix, you'll see it's a very healthy mix. We had around 28% of visitors from GCC and MENA region, around 19% from Western Europe, 18% from South Asia, uh, 13% from Russia, CIS and Eastern Europe, and then, you know, the, the rest of the Americas and the world as well. So really, it's well set up to attract um, every single visitor. Um, we're home to 200 different nationalities. When it comes to the Chinese market, market in specific, you know, the, the market doesn't come without um, its challenges. The, the air capacity is still not up to pre-pandemic levels. However, the relationship between the UAE and China is one of the strongest. And so we are always given priority when it comes to, you know, opening up uh, flights, opening up routes, uh, uh, flying tourists here, you know, we're visa free. We had a wonderful Chinese New Year celebration last year at the Birch Park. So it is one of the growing markets. And, you know, we expect to see it go back to pre-pandemic levels within the next few years. Within those demographics that you've run us through those statistics there, are there any changes now that we are post-pandemic, although Interestingly, one of our um, economists has cancelled this morning because he has COVID. But if if we're in the recovery phase now, how is the, the demographic mix different from what it was pre-pandemic? Of course. So I would say, um, if, if I may, the world is in pre-recovery phase. But for Dubai, we're already way past the pandemic phase. So, you know, our numbers are way above that. Now, in terms of the mix, obviously, as you rightfully said, it will differ, which is why the diversified approach has been, you know, part of our success. So you'll see, um, you know, while the range remains diversified, you'll obviously find markets that will boom and markets that are still facing challenges, case in point being China, which has not come back to pre-pandemic levels yet for obvious reasons. But then we'll have a lot of new markets as well, you know, entering the space. So we're seeing a lot of growth in um, Eastern European markets and CIS markets that previously were not seeing such growth to Dubai. So, for example, markets like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, amazing growth for these markets. Um, we've also penetrated new markets such as Turkey, such as Pakistan, which we weren't particularly uh, active in pre-pandemic, but much more active in right now. So Dubai will continue to, I mean, we'll always focus on our base markets that have always been, you know, keen on Dubai and, um, and what we call cash cow markets to Dubai. But we will continue to diversify and, and open up new markets where relevant. Um, and the first partners that we always deal with when doing this is obviously our airline partners of Emirates and Fly Dubai. We, we tend to follow you know, where, where they're going and if those are high, you know, high potential tourism markets in particular. Have you seen any change as well to patterns in high season and low season? We spoke to one hotelier yesterday who said the, the low season, the, the summer season, is not as low occupancy-wise as it used to be. It's, uh, you know, it's that's part of the, the, the amazingness and the positiveness of the story. It's not just about the numbers, but when you look at hospitality metrics across the board, right, it's very important to understand the supply and demand. So one of the growth factors, um, you know, when you compare the number of hotels and the number of hotel rooms that we have today versus 2019, I'll just give you some small figures for context. We had around 740 hotels in the city in 2019. Today we have 820 or over 820. That's at least 30,000 more hotel rooms. So we're comparing to 2019, but with a much higher supply base. And even despite that, all of the hospitality metrics with the overnight visitors have all increased. 
rest. We're looking at longer length of stay. We're looking at higher occupancy levels. We're looking at higher ADRs and RFPAR levels. So really, it's remarkable that the growth um, in the overnight visitors has sustained, you know, the growth in supply, which means demand is way over exceeding the growth and the supply. So we're definitely headed in the right direction. And yes, definitely, as the, um, you know, as this demand is shifting and seasonality is shifting, you know, and times of the year that may have been previously considered low seasons, quote unquote, such as Ramadan, which is now moving on to a different part of the year. We're no longer seeing those patterns. And summer Dubai is definitely a summer destination as much as it's always been a winter destination. It's, an, it's a year round destination, really. So how amongst all of that do we keep Dubai affordable for tourists? So when we talk about the hotel mix, for example, you know, one of the things that we were that, that the government and the city was really focused on exactly, you know, in line with what you said, to ensure that Dubai is diversified, not just for different people, but different budgets and different needs. We had to make sure that we don't have an oversupply of just five star hotels. Right. So one of the things that the city is, you know, has always been keen on is to ensure that that, that mix is diversified by, you know, working with different investors and you know, working with different government bodies as well to ensure that those investments are not just um, not just supported in terms of incentives, but also, in, you know, spaced out across the city so that we have a good range of one to five star hotels and hotel apartments all across the city. The city is always obviously ensuring uh, to make uh, the place uh, affordable as well by, you know, working on things like uh, expanding the metro lines, public transportation, a um, lot of attractions. You know, the biggest attraction in the world, which is, you know, the tallest Burj Khalifa, it's also available to go and, and, and check out for free with the Dubai fountains. So really, there is something for everyone in Dubai. You want the ultra luxury. There's some there's a, there's products there for you. You want to have a nice budget trip, stay at a beautiful three star hotel that is unmatched to any other continent in the world. You know, our three stars are better than three stars across the globe. Um, and you want to enjoy free attractions and you want to have a nice Tudorham ride on the Abra and the Souq and enjoy bargaining in the bazaar and, and, you know, attractions like Global Village. We have that as well. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are unfortunately out of time. Horal Khaja is Senior Vice President for International Operations at the Dubai Department of Economy and Tourism, talking us through those record numbers. Thank you for your time this morning. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we are saying Gong Hei Fat Choi to celebrate the Chinese New Year. Gong Hei Fat Choi, Gong Hei Fat Choi. Sing Happy New Year, Let's cross live to Hong Kong now. Delighted to be joined on the line by Patrick Tsang, private equity investor, chairman of the Tsangs Group, based in Hong Kong, but with a significant presence here in Dubai. Patrick, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Morning, Richard. Good to see you. So paint a picture of the, the scenes in Hong Kong at the moment. Chinese New Year begins in earnest this weekend. Yes, uh, Hong Kong uh, today is the last year um of the year, so tomorrow, you know, tonight, midnight, um, it's the first year of the Chinese New Year. It's the year of the dragon, which is the most auspicious uh, uh, horoscope. Uh, so we're looking for a great year of new fortune and luck for in Hong Kong, China, and the rest of the world. What do, will the the celebrations look like this year? Of course, Chinese New Year has been disrupted over the past few years by COVID. This year will be, some people are saying, the first year where there are no COVID legacy restrictions that are going to impact Chinese New Year. How does it feel on the ground? So it's, it's feeling great. Um, we Hong Kong were expecting over a million visitors from mainland China 
which is 80% of uh, pre-pandemic levels. Um, we've seen a shift of uh, different behaviors of how mainland Chinese have been traveling, especially to Hong Kong. Um, and this year is predicted uh, for Chinese New Year to be a very fruitful, very busy one. And yet it comes at a time when there are challenges for the Chinese economy and the Hong Kong economy. Looking at the front page of the Financial Times this morning, this is the headline, plummeting prices highlight Beijing's struggle to revive investor confidence. I was looking at the Hang Seng this morning. The stock market is trading today, falling again, down about 30% over the past year. Of course, you'll be aware of these challenges. As the chairman of the Sangs Group, what are you seeing? What's the, the yin and the yang, the good and the bad about the, the Hong Kong and the greater Chinese economy at the moment. Well, right now China is uh, is suffering. It's going through a tough time, but you know it's still you know the second largest economy in the world, and it will come back in a different form. Um, interesting enough, is most banks, including J.P. Morgan, they're predicting uh, 2024 the GDP will be you know growing at 4.9 percent, which is actually quite high. Um, secondly, what what it, what it means is you know it's you know economy is a is a cycle. So I believe that it just means that China and Hong Kong we have to do things a little bit differently. We've seen uh, how Dubai and the UAE has uh, really changed itself for the last few years during COVID to become one of the top uh, places to do business and for tourism. So I, I foresee what will happen in China is that this is the perfect time for Chinese companies to actually go global. Um, Historically, China has been such a large market. Chinese companies have been focused on the domestic market. And then we'll see a lot of technology companies actually going global. Uh, And this is what we're trying to bridge from Hong Kong to places like the Middle East, UAE. Um, For example, last year, we set up the Hong Kong Ambassadors Club, which is to promote Hong Kong Inc. Uh, We managed to lead five delegations to the UAE, signing over 70 MOUs and around 10 agreements, uh, bringing different companies from renewables, robotics, food tech companies to the UAE to do more business and to have their regional headquarters. Indeed, you're you're part of that trend. You set up here in Dubai several years ago and spent an awful lot of time here. I know COP28 was a big deal for you and for the Sangs Group, and you did a lot of deals in that space. What are we, six weeks, eight weeks on from that now? What's the legacy of those COP deals? Just remind us what you did and how's it shaping up in 2024? So first of all, I'd like to congratulate the UAE in Dubai for hosting the best COP28 uh, in the sense that there was the, the max number of record number of visitors, the, the dignitaries uh, managed to meet people like uh, King Charles, uh, Ray Dalio to discuss about obviously climate change issues. But what was interesting is uh, we hosted the first uh, Hong Kong Climate Day in COP28 on the 8th of December. We managed to forge a relationship with Deep Rock, which is one of the leading uh, green energy companies in China. But this is not just the Hong Kong or China uh, play. This is a truly global uh, issue that needs to be tackled. And obviously, the UAE is the perfect platform being being one of the most global countries there is. Um, so we're d- doing a lot of renewable energy um, and a lot of tech that we're bringing both from Hong Kong, China to the Middle East, but also bringing Middle East investors to the region here in China to to do more business. Finally, Patrick, it's great to see investment from companies like yours coming into the Middle East from Hong Kong. What about investment flows the other way? Some investors are looking at relatively weak stock markets in Hong Kong and mainland China and thinking, well, could this be an investment opportunity? Full disclosure, I am one of them. The the Hang Seng's 50% below where it was pre-pandemic. What would be your message to investors who are looking to invest in Hong Kong and mainland China, either through the stock market or other vehicles? Absolutely. Great, great um, 
analogy. I would say that um, the, the, the markets are really low. Warren Buffett always says when people, um, when the smart market is high, you should be selling. When the stock market is low, that's when you should go in. That's absolutely correct. I believe that Hong Kong and China will always be very influential in any kind of geopolitical landscape. I think there are a lot of bargain deals, a lot of great stuff to invest into. So um, also, you know, being in, in the Arab nations, everyone's diversifying from the oil economy. So the geopolitical uh, relationship between China and the Middle East is at its all-time best and all-time high. So I believe that's a lot of uh, interesting deals that the Middle East uh, investors can look at in China to diversify. Patrick, really appreciate you joining us on what is a busy day today in Hong Kong. I can see you're suited and booted in your office on Microsoft Teams, but we're going to go and let you slip into something more comfortable for the fireworks this evening. Gong Hei Fat Choi, Patrick Sang, private equity investor, chairman of the Sangs Group, joining us live from Hong Kong. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Well, let's talk IP. Let's talk intellectual property. Why? Because the UAE as a country is taking a bold step towards becoming a global hub for innovation and creativity with the launch of a brand new intellectual property system. Uh, that's been prompted by a significant rise uh, and growth in IP applications in recent times. Uh, let's get some more on this with our special guest now live here in studio, the head of uh, trademarks and brand protection at Hadef and Partners. James Dunn's been kind enough to take time out of a busy Friday morning to join us live here in studio. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for having me. No, really kind of you to join us on what is a very significant subject and could have huge impact. Uh, here in the region moving forward. Let's start, before we get onto the system and the, uh, and the, and the future, if you like, let's, uh, let's give the numbers out to our listeners. So 2023, as we said, um, unprecedented growth in application, 9.6% increase in trademarks, 29.5%, just shy of 30% increase in intellectual work registrations. Uh, was this new system needed in light of those heavy numbers? Uh, well, a very good question. What it is, is probably adapting and enhancing the existing framework that's already been set for many years by the UAE. Uh, the UAE for quite a long time now has recognised the value of intellectual property rights. But these changes in these numbers you uh, refer to, and we're seeing also a massive increase in the number of patents being filed here in the UAE. In 2023, three and a half thousand patents were filed, uh, within, which is an extraordinary number for, uh, for, the, for the country. This falls within an increase globally uh, in, uh, I suppose, an interest in and awareness of and uh, adoption and implementation of IP rights. So we're seeing uh, in 2022, by year end, the World Intellectual Property Organization found that there was uh, 3.5 million patent applications filed, 15.5 million trademarks and 1.5 million designs. So on a global scale, uh, this awareness of IP is something that's become increasingly important, certainly from an economy perspective. And this initiative by the UAE, which is you know, rolling out th 11 key initiatives to enhance the existing framework, really is giving, uh, refining what's already in place and making sure that we are pretty much on a global leader in this regard as we move towards a uh, digital and knowledge economy by 2031. 
You mentioned there the 11 interconnected initiatives that make up this new system, the new intellectual property system. Um, I always look at these things, uh, uh, first and foremost, from the launch. And you can tell a lot of just how important a number of these initiatives are as to who launches them. The very fact that the Minister of Economy, Abdullah bin Tukhal Mari, uh, was at the launch and made it sort of very personal pledge to all those that they're emphasising the importance of IP and driving economic growth. I think that really highlights how important this is to the Dubai, the UAE economy as a whole. Absolutely. And the initiative and the collaboration that's been undertaken both with other government uh, entities, officials, private sector bodies, uh, trade associations, really shows the collective take-up and, as you say, the recognition and importance that's given to IP rights here in the UAE as we move forward through 2024 and onwards. Uh, And a good example of this is that in 2021, as part of the year of the 50, there were uh, various legislative and project changes, but in relation to IP, we had a wholesale review and overhaul of our IP laws. So new copyright law, new patents law, new trademarks law. So that importance that you refer to, which is exactly right, really, uh, I suppose, emphasises the uh, importance of IP to the UAE as an economy, but also the steps that are, are being taken to protect that. But you need integration, as you just mentioned there. You need that collaboration between a variety of different uh, ministries, uh, private and, and public institutions, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think, where the UAE really does set the pace in that regard, is this interaction collaboration between the public private and government entities to really move the UA forward. And it's seen with a number of the initiatives that are there. Probably one that's worth drawing attention to is the um, sort of policy of increasing the awareness and appeal of the, uh, of the UAE from an IP perspective to global entities. And as part of that initiative, the UAE was successfully awarded the uh, right to host the 2026 Inter-Trademark Conference. Now, Inter is the world's largest trademark conference. You normally have between ten and 15,000 people attending from all over the world. So this is a massive coup for the UAE and really does emphasise, I suppose, the return on investment that the UAE has made in this collaborative approach, as you point out, Tom. I mean, there are several pillars uh, to the new IP system. One thing that really strikes me is the sort of efficiency that's being emphasised here, user-friendly platform, streamlining of mechanisms as well. What are the sort of takeaways you take away from the main pillars? I think with that, what it is, it's probably, I would say, comfort. Mm. And I say comfort in the sense that for innovators, both domestic and overseas, and IP owners, the ability to rely on these pillars, which is to improve efficiency, provide means to deal with infringement, minimise and hopefully resolve disputes quickly, but also foster culture of innovation, all of those together really put us and give us a framework here in the UAE that uh, really is... You know, top of the tree in terms of the global landscape from an IP perspective and it's something that is of appeal and facilitates both domestic and foreign innovation to trade with and uh, integrate with the UAE economy. It's also fascinating, isn't it? Because you've got the system per se, but along with that comes these 11 key initiatives, all uh, gunning towards, uh, obviously, the visions uh, for the economy, the UAE vision to become a, a knowledge-based economy by 2031, getting my years right on this one. But again, I'm going through a lot of those initiatives and the those that appeal to those that are established already, those that are st- starting up, those that even go to school levels as well and the education from as young. We've even got a virtual character that's been created as well. Yes, Asia. <laughs> so that's really leveraging the AI and that was discussed earlier in the session. And with that, that awareness is really starting from the bottom up. 
And the education with schools is going to be in collaboration with the World Intellectual Property Organization. And at the same time, there's the initiative as well to promote Emirati participation in the IP sector, both in terms of job creation, but also with the roles within the IP sector itself. So really a win-win for everyone in that regard. Looking forward to this one. And obviously, this is building the foundations for the future. Just a quick one. And Brandy, alongside me, is a big fan of proxy data. Can we use this? as proxy data for a, for an increase A in population here? We, we look for a, the increase in IP applications, the increase in trademark applications. Does that mean there are more people here or are we just getting more creative? I think it's a combination of both. It's both an increase in the presence here in the UA. You have a lot of innovators who are coming. You have the technology park that's opened up uh, at, uh, towards Umsakim, where you have homegrown entities establishing, but also foreign brands and foreign entrepreneurs are coming here and establishing and operating from the region because of that framework that you uh, referred to earlier. And it's that appeal, really, that and collectively means that both the economy is growing, which is a fantastic sign, as well as the number of people who see the UAE as a destination to grow their business and innovate. James, kind of you to join us this morning. Really appreciate the insight uh, and your expertise on this one. James Dunn, Head of Trademarks and Brand Protection at Hadef and Partners, joining us live in the studio. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.